0: Sorry, you'll have to be patient with me. Um, your audio quality is not coming through well, but your value does come across well. And so it, it sometimes may seem like we're interrupting each other um, or we're overlapping each other, but I think there's just some weird internet demon um, that, that does not want us to, to talk well. So I'm um, just letting you know that in case it helps us with our banter a little bit. Not a problem. Awesome, man. Well, Chris, I'm I'm happy to have you on the show. And uh, what are you most excited about sharing today?
1: You know, just trying to help you know people with uh, in the B2B space. You know, grow their accounts and grow their margins because I do believe margin is the the root of success uh, for small businesses.
0: Absolutely. What's your one secret weapon for how to do that?
1: Relationships. <laughs>
0: It's Oh, it was can, concise, too.
1: Yeah, for sure. It it's all about relationships and business, uh, you know, taking the time and the effort uh, and investing it back into the existing organization. All
0: right. Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We'll be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. Pros, welcome to another episode of Vision Pros Live. I'm your host Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business, and I'm excited to have Chris Klaus on the show today. I'll go into his intro in just a minute. Without without uh, skipping the fact that we got some awesome sponsors to be talking about, so we got Cold Click. This is a system that we use for our LinkedIn automation. It helps protect us as we implement automation to attract great people to work with us and talk to us. Now. Uh, When I say attract, I am actually talking about utilizing very warm messages to make sure that you're not just shoving your offers down people's throat. And that's my tip and trick to you is just be a normal human being. When you reach out to people, let people study your profile. If your profile shows that you're an expert, they may want to talk to you if you show up as a genuine human being. But the process of automation also makes sure that we're able to distribute our, our message to more and more people and attract said great leaders. So the, the tool is never the problem. The tool is a resource and how we choose to utilize the resource is either a problem or a blessing. Water can uh, drown people, but water can also provide uh, tremendous blessings to people. And uh, that actually makes me need to stop for a moment. Um, I actually would like to give a brief moment of silence. Um, I don't know if you are paying attention to the news and what's going on, but Israel is now in a war with Hamas, and Palestine is also affected by it. Um, I don't, I don't want to take sides um, in really any relationships and life. We are all brothers and sisters on this planet, um, and not all of us know that. But I just, you know, want to make sure that if you, if you haven't heard the news. It's something that you should really be looking at and paying attention to. And there's more unfortunate news that we are also probably not aware of. And that's that Afghanistan was hit by an earthquake. Um, And according to initial reports, 2,000 people died in said earthquake. Another report said 800, Um, whether it was one person or 800, um, the the loss is obviously devastating for those closest and affected by it. So um, if you would... I won't be silent during this. Actually, I'll use the time productively. Um, But, you know, maybe just have your thoughts and prayers with people, but also consider if you know a link of how people can help effectively, please share it um, in the comments. If you are in a position to help out, then go look for the links of how can you help those circumstances. But the world's been going through a lot of darkness in a lot of different ways for thousands of years. Let's not sugarcoat it. Um, we don't necessarily live in an, a, an exceptional time. And at the same time we do. And so with that said, we're going to enjoy this episode of vision pros. We're going to compartmentalize this experience, find our, our abilities to, to help in that cause outside of sharing the awareness on the microphone. Um, but also we're going to dive into the blessing that we have of being able to, to host Chris and learn from his experience. Uh, as a tech wizard. He's like Bill Nye, the science guy, um, but better looking. And he helps with business, not just uh, basic facts about physics and chemistry. So that'll be fun. Anyway, I'm going to dive into Tap Mental now a little bit. Um, There's Chris. There's our our Bill Nye. Um, So the tapmental.io is a client of ours. And I've been super impressed with David Goodall and the types of results that he's able to get for clients looking for operational help Um, him and him and chris probably have a very harmonic overlap in the way that they both do things what i love about david is his ability to get into the emotional healing within the founders of said ventures and help them recognize that overcoming their trauma overcoming their experiences at a deeper level Will root out the, the core problems that are ultimately holding back their ability to scale, which then affects his ability to put workflow processes and systems in place that make the most sense for said companies. So feel free to check out Cold Click and Tap Mental. And last but not least, the Water Project. I'm a huge fan of the Water Project. And no matter what else is going on in the world, um, you know, it's it breaks my heart. There are people that do not have access to clean drinking water. Um, and every day we've got an opportunity to step up and, and help out with this by giving a dollar or again, raising awareness for people who are um, less aware of, of the, the realities that some people face out there. Um, and I feel fortunate enough that I, I need to spread the word um, about that as well and, and help people understand that you have an opportunity not only to give back, but to also see how your dollar goes towards helping the community you chose to support. And I think that's really cool. I don't know too many uh, organizations that that were doing that as soon as the water project started doing it. And it just gives us that transparency you know, of like, okay, the, I, my support is going to a community that's actually in, in need and I get to see the outcome of said experience. So um, anyway, let's get Chris on the show now. And Chris, Klaus, I'm excited to talk to you. All things tech, all things business, whatever we can cram into the next 30, 45 minutes. We will absolutely do just that. So Chris Klaus, thank you for joining me on Vision Pros Live.
1: Let me pull you up. There we go. Now, I'm excited <laughs> to, now uh, you're I'm on. I'm excited to be here, Jackson.
0: Absolutely. So we're going to be showing some of your websites as we talk. Um, they have you have quite a few ventures that you're involved in. Um, Kilo Feet. you've got SAS Rock, you've got the Realty Tech, where you're teaching about AI and how to utilize that. Um, you know, I guess with, with all of that under your belt, knowing that uh, we're talking to visionary entrepreneurs, people who can also envision themselves as market leaders, who should be listening today? Why should they listen to you? And what are they going to get out of today's show?
1: All right. I think the thing we're going to talk about the most is probably account expansion. So I would say the people who would benefit the most are, you know, B2B um, executives, um, salespeople and, or, uh, owners. Um, they should listen because I've helped expand accounts, uh, at the last several companies that I've worked at, as well as, um, for my consultants, uh, my clients, and they're going to learn some techniques, um, that will help them do that. And, and when I say expand accounts, I mean, take an account from 30,000 to 200,000, you know, take an account from 400,000 to 3 million, you know, these, these kinds of processes uh, take work, but I think most small business owners spend far too much time trying to acquire new leads instead of investing in the accounts that they already have. Hmm.
0: Well said, um, that will be fun to unpack. And I think you just nailed the second piece pretty well, which is what is your vision for those that you serve? You, you hit some of the the tangible outcomes of that, which is awesome. Uh, what do you hope that
1: leads to for your, your clients? <clears throat> margin so uh i i really do believe that if if you invest right and you can grow accounts you have a long-term scalable and sustainable business so you can have margin and you can be protected from the ups and the downs and the cycles that exist because you're not a transactional company at that point you're a relationship company and your clients your partners will stay with you through thick and thin if you do the same for them
0: Let me have some limiting belief fun and twist your words a little bit. So you make people rich and greedy, right? With margins, no, but go ahead. Uh, Help somebody understand that heard that, what it is you mean again.
1: Uh, I don't believe without margin, you can actually invest in your clients and your relationships. If you operate at a single digit margin, you can't go above and beyond. You can only provide the service you already provide. But if you start to increase or your less. Base or less, yeah. But if you increase your margins, you actually allow yourself the opportunity when you see an opportunity to invest in that account and to help the client even more. Um, so margin begets quality. I'm a big, big believer in that, um, and I, I think uh, you know you can always be the WalMarts of the world chasing the, the single digit margins you know, or you can be the apple of the world and, and be chasing, you know, double digit or triple digit, mar- well, double digit margins. But um, because that that double, that high, you know, the 20 to 30 to 50% margins, those allow you to invest in your product, to invest in yourself, to imbe- invest in your, your clients. And uh, ultimately the combination of those investments is what allows you to have a better product and a better customer experience.
0: It's funny, man. I, I'm going to, I'm going to dive a little deeper. I love that you use the, the the generalized view of Apple and Walmart to depict this because it's an easy concept for people to understand. Since you buy, you know, one dollar items at Walmart versus buying, you know, I don't know, four thousand dollar earbuds at, at Apple. Um, you know, right? So I, I get that. And for those of you who are listening in, Chris knows this as much as I do, and I appreciate the, the again the oversimplification can be helpful to draw a correlation. But I also want everybody to catch the nuance that he and I know that. Well, wait a second, Apple. I'm also an i. I'm an Apple customer. I have iTunes, right? I don't pay a dime for iTunes, um, right? So I've got my free Walmart-style product through them. And they use that to get me into their bucket so they can continue to sell me things if I ever decide to to go that route. And in the case of Android, same thing, Android, Apple, I don't care. I don't want to fight. Um, Right. But the same thing, I get into their free stuff and then I end up with their higher ticket items. Walmart's the same way. That's why Walmart is worldwide. Right. You go and you buy the milk at a a loss, but those uh, plastic cups you're buying or those T-shirts on the rack that you're buying, the markup, the margin is phenomenal for that entity as well, which is why they're able to scale. And the key is finding somebody like Chris who helps you figure out how the heck do you do that for your brand, not getting distracted by the other brand. So what's your vision, Chris, for for yourself and all of this?
1: Uh, you know, I I there's a Japanese world word, I'm probably gonna butcher it called ikikage, I believe, which is that intersection of your purpose, your vision, um, how you make money, what you're good at, and all of those different things. Um, Mm. I truly love uh, enabling individuals, um, ikakage.
0: That is cool that they have words to define things like that, like holistic ideas, (laughs) rather than having to use a long phrase like us. Um, That's why they sound so wise all the time. Um, so, all right, let's dive in a little bit to that margin aspect, man. Teach me, teach away. So how do you go
1: from 30,000 to 200,000? What does that look like? Well, so it starts with like a process, you know, and it's, um, there are four different ways that you can do, um, make additional money. You can upsell, um, you can go through the traditional land and expand. You can start to offer tailored solutions. Um, when you have deep relationships with your clients, or you can offer new offerings based upon listening and and hearing your clients. And one of the reasons that some of these uh, processes require an investment is because you do have to spend time listening to your customers. And by the way, this is good product management, which is my background. This is good sales, you know, and and this is good everything. Listening to your customers is critically important. Um, So, but it starts with really a process. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of quarterly business reviews, Jackson, right? Um, lots of big companies yes. do them. Um, but I think a lot of companies do them wrong and what they do at a quarterly basis should actually be done on a monthly basis when they primarily speak with just the champion of the account, the champion, and you should be talking a lot, um, and you should be dealing with each other all the time. When you say if,
0: the champion of the account, are you referring to the, ex- the account executive who manages that account? Or are you referring to the account
1: themselves? the account themselves, the champion of the account, right? Instead of doing that on a quarterly basis, that should be done on a monthly basis at a minimum. Um, And then on the quarterly basis, the change is that you need to make sure that you're dealing with either other departments at the same level of that that champion or the champion's boss, because the quarterly business review should be about making the champion look good for using you. Okay, yeah,
0: sorry. Let me just make sure I understood that. So the champion... Uh, you're referring to the account executive who manages it.
1: Uh, I'm referring to the champion within the organization that's using your software, right. your software or product or service. Oh,
0: so the champion is
1: the client. The champion is always the client. Who's okay. championing you inside of the organization? Um, and that's very rarely mm. the CEO, Right. which means there's always another person higher or lateral that you can be expanding your opportunity inside of. Um, And so one of the ways to do that is let's say you have uh, an account um, with uh, let's say North America and you wanna pick up the South American side of a business. When you do a, a quarterly business review, it's an opportunity to have the North American business account uh, manager potentially add in the South American uh, business account or his boss, uh, the global leader, and bring them in and say, these are the things we promised, these are the things we delivered, our champion. You wanna make your champion look good. This is what the champion asked for. This is how we did it. This is how we improved. Here's the opportunities for improvement we see here. um, Is there anything we can do uh, for for you and you've already had these dialogues with the champion so you know what they need <clears throat> what you don't know is what their boss wants or what their counterparts want but having that conversation in front of those people is an amazing opportunity to make your champion look good hopefully you're helping him get a raise or a bonus yep. but it's also exposing you in a way that you could never get to those other people inside that company because your champion is the one that's helped guide and build the and add the additional contacts and the additional leverage inside the organization.
0: I'm a big believer in the concept, Chris, huge. Uh, one reason why is I'm usually the, the, I was usually the champion within organizations, um, you know, that that did the the dirty work behind the scenes to get the systems to work and function. Um, and there's nothing more frustrating than when you're dealing with a service provider that doesn't value your input. Uh, and you're trying to, you're trying to implement that software for the success of both, the entity you represent and the software provider that you chose or that you decided to work with. So the client success manager role, some people would call it the the CSM. I've seen that starting to take off um, a little bit more and more in the market. I think it's one of the best, like one of the most important roles that companies can can carve out. Um, Go ahead. You got a hundred percent.
1: No, I agree completely. And customer success managers are critically important. But one of the, the things and part of the process is understanding that your customer success team, your customer support team, your training department, and your sales team, mm-hmm. as four different, um, you know, organizations within inside your organization, mm-hmm. can develop silos so fast. And oh, so yeah. part of part of that process is, you know, every week sure you'll probably have a sales meeting where you view all your main accounts, but every month inside your organization, maybe a week before your monthly champion call mm mm-hmm. so you can be prepared for it you have a account review with all your key accounts they i don't care what the whatever the threshold is for your organization maybe it's a hundred thousand a year and you only have to look at the, your top 20 accounts but every single account gets its own dedicated meeting. And inside of that, the support department has to come with all the issues and an account issue analysis. The customer success department has to come in with the customer successes findings. Sales does the same, support does the same. All the departments come together and make a true understanding of product as well. Um, They build a true understanding of that customer's Ethos and that customer, what the customer needs inside the organization cross departmentally, you enable your sales manager, your account manager, your CSM, who's ever in charge of this process, yeah. to then have an effective call with the, uh, the champion inside of the organization. And they get to say things like, hey, we did this customer support uh, analysis uh, and this is what we found. And because of that, I talked to the product guy because he was in my meeting. I talked to the product guy and we're going to make this tweak because we think it's going to improve the product for you. And now you've just escalated the idea of customer success, support, product development and sales. And you've looped it all together through that one throat to choke of the account manager. Mm -hmm. And you've said all of my whole department, my whole company thinks you're important. And we, we bubble it up and we review it all the time. And I'm having this conversation with on a monthly basis, not a quarterly. And on the quarterly, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to help you try to look good. So we're going to review and make sure that we can spin this in the best possible way because it's important that we both have success. And now how can I help you share that across your organization? Um, massive, massive value add when you can, when you can do that. But that's where I said, you have to have margin. Otherwise, but, yes, you got hours of time for a customer support person to do the analysis per account. Hours of time for support, well, right? But y-
0: you know, it, it's not a chicken and an egg. It's a chicken and egg concept. You know, you have to invest in your brand to win, right? Okay. You, you have to be willing to do what you need to, and sometimes we hold ourselves back because we say, "Well, I can't quantify the value of that." You know, I can't quantify. I can't. There's no metrics to back that. That's that's a lie. That's not true. However, in, you know, the effective executive, Dr. Peter Drucker talks about how you measure an executive based on quarterly performances, meaning you got to give them at least four months to be able to begin to see what the types of results they might drive are. And a lot of times the beginning driver is uncomfortable. And so the results are actually going to be kind of funky looking in the first four months, usually by month eight, though, you have a pretty great idea of something like this. Is winning really well, and I would equate this to you know any sports person out there, um, or if you're not, consider looking up the man Draymond Green from the Golden State Warriors. And here's why: Draymond's job is not to make the most amount of points. It's not to block the most amount of shots. It's not to give any tangible. Uh, KPI or metric to justify him being on the team. Yes, he does do those things and have some highlight games, but that's not why they love Draymond. Draymond's job is to be mean, and it is to be in the way. He's just supposed to get in the way and affect people and, and their mindset, and their and he motivates the team too. Don't get me wrong; he's a great basketball player, but the stats don't necessarily show it. Now, your customer success manager, their job's not to be mean; it's to be the exact opposite of that. It's to be kind. It's to listen to people. And I'm just, I'm just incredibly bought into your concept, Chris, if you can't tell, um, like this is huge and I don't see this happen enough because entrepreneurs and HR departments are scared to bring people in that don't fit within the metrics within one silo department.
1: Amen, and actually I love the fact that you brought up the HR departments. So one of my biggest issue, and Mm. I saw this great tweet a few weeks ago about the death of SaaS, which is greatly exaggerated. (laughs) Of course it is. uh, But I really loved what he was saying, and that is people don't buy technology, but we sell technology, and that's not what Uh, we should be selling. We should be selling the three legs of the stool, which is we have the people, we have the process, and we have the technology to make you successful. And it's the combination of those three. Here's Can I give process. one more
0: base on that? Go ahead. I, go I got to do the plug, brother. I got to, and that's why I named this Vision Pros, mm-hmm. right? Because it's the vision that attracts those those elements to mm-hmm. be there in the first place. But you 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 know that's the problem is companies assume they they understand all, They just want to sell their product mm-hmm. or service or SaaS, right? And it, nobody cares about that stuff, not unless you have that people, that culture, that vision to support it. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. I yeah. like that. So you could even say that the vision is really the chair and the, and the legs, right? Uh, the stool, um, the portion of that. Um, cause you do, you, you have to have a process you have to, and it's gotta be onboarding. It's gotta be management. It's gotta be account management. You have to have a process. You have to have the right people in place to make that process work. And then you have to have the technology. If you're just selling technology, you are selling a commodity that is replaceable. And that yeah. is one of my big, big true beliefs that if you're just selling the technology, you're selling a commodity. Yeah. And I'm not in the commodity sales game. I'm, I'm in the relationship game. I'm in the building long-term value um, and unlocking long-term value. And that can only be done by doing this. So um, one mm-hmm. of my clients that I was just working with, um, we were working on engagement and you know, I think they're, they had a client somewhere in the 30,000 a year range. And I talked about how to walk, walk through this process. Um, And we, we built, you know, plans around how to do some of the things that we just talked about. And over the course of six months, I'm pretty sure they, they signed the contract before our, our engagement ended, um, you know, with greater than um, like eight, eight X size increase. Um, But the thing is, to your point, Jackson, which I think is great, you said it can take about eight months, it took probably the full six months, right, for them to start to see a change in the client. Um, and then to start the ne- contract negotiation and and take, you know, get that all taken care of. Um, but the reality is at a level of an investment you make, they actually had to bear the cost because there wasn't margin in the account to do that. And they were willing to take that risk because guess what? Just hearing about it, Jackson, you can see Jackson's enthusiasm, right? It's like yes. this just makes sense. Like, and if you're wow. not doing this and you don't have the margin to do this, um, try it and see if you can figure out because those things- You always can, can.
0: You always can. You cannot make your excuses, you know, the reason why you don't do the right thing.
1: A- agreed. But I think the point is like, you have to hear from your customer, real words, real listening, and you have to provide the value for them to learn about the upsell ex- chances, right? Yeah. Or to learn about the expansionary chances or to build something tailored and custom to them. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of times people hear like, hey, they want to have super high margins because SaaS is great, which guess what? Like service companies have been the bread and butter of, of America for a long time. SaaS has been around for what, 30 years? Um, so it, yep. it's service is not a, a, a bad or dirty word, um, but you can lump it into a recurring contract and attract and, and some of that value from a multiple perspective, if that's what you're worried about by saying, hey, you know. We're going to sell you the software. It's ten grand a year, um, but um, you know, in that ten grand, I'm making up the numbers because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're going to get a hundred hours of uh, of customization or or training or support or whatever whatever thing. You can just make it part of the software bundle that they have some labor that's associated with it. So that mm. way, it's you're developing and providing the solution, and and you're not worried about like margin counting necessarily. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, I
0: will say if a company attempts to go this route half-heartedly, they're gonna burn. They're, they're it's not gonna work. You have to be willing to actually like listen and implement this with it's a fall of faith, you know, that that you take <laughs> when you do this. You can't do it half-heartedly, it will not work. And and here I'm gonna give a couple examples. Okay. Is that cool with you?
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to um agree and disagree with you in a second.
0: Sweet. I'm down with that. Um, always so. Two of the companies that I see implementing this style of of training and growth are Trainual, dot com. They do a phenomenal job of building out a support process that is wicked cool um, and a vision for what it is that they're doing. And and you can just tell they have that that success manager built into the process by the way they onboard the new clients. Um, One company that I see stepping up in this regard and kind of making new moves is Canva. Um, Canva's got commercials coming out like crazy on YouTube and on TV. And you can just see again the dedication to folks in their culture, but you can also visually watch the expansion of these brands over time because of what's happening. Now, I saw another company that that was failing miserably to implement a client success fan. They needed one, they did not have one, they had these silo problems, and the company was named Traffic and Funnels. Um, And Traffic and Funnels was run by some very, very uh, smart, very good leaders in the world. Um, I I tend to think they are. And at the same time, the customer service was abysmal. It was awful. And they brought in somebody who I feel like did the best job they could as a client success manager, given Mm -hmm. that the existing culture did not respect the reality of a client success manager. And that was Tyler Chambliss. She did a phenomenal job of coming in and trying to right the ship, but she did it alone. And it became more and more obvious. And I was just a client of theirs, right? So I didn't, I wasn't a consultant with them. I worked behind the scenes, but you can see certain things unfold, especially as an entrepreneur. Like, you know, you just have the ability to know, oh, red flags here and there and there. But I watched her try so hard to go all in as the client success manager. And I could see that the feedback we were giving the community was giving it was all on a Facebook group where you could see what was happening. It was pretty obvious that she had almost no support in the process of of delivering. granted she did certainly make waves that provided an improvement to what they did. But I have to digress on that. I don't feel like they adopted it fully or came even close, and I would say the proof is that they no longer exist. The brand got shut down it's gone so those are the those are the three different elements that I just want if you're gonna do this don't go in as the doubting Thomas. I don't think you're going to win if you go in with extreme doubts and you're going to self-sabotage the experience in my opinion. But Chris, yeah, hit it. What do you you feel is wrong about that? And what can you add to it?
1: I I was going to say, I agree and disagree. You can't do it half-heartedly. However, you can organizationally do it half-heartedly. And what I mean by that is (laughs) you don't have to deploy it to all your accounts. In fact, there should be a gating mechanism that says only accounts that meet this threshold should get this Mm -hmm. but when you first start you can literally pick a single account and say i can make the investment for a single account because this is my most important account already and i want them to be happy so that is the half-hearted. You can't do a in a single account half-hearted, but you can do one account instead of fifty accounts.
0: That's semantics. Because <laughs> I think you're going in, you're you're going wholeheartedly for that one account. Yeah, you know, tech- but you're not investing in the in the scale of the experience yet, which I love. That's a great that's a great point. That sometimes we try to eat the whole elephant at once.
1: You gotta eat it one elephant, one bite at a time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, one elephant one at, a time. at a time. I like um, that. <laughs> you gotta eat it one bite at a time. I couldn't agree more. And I really, in fact, that's one of the things that I would suggest frequently is starting with, you know, one to three accounts that are the most important to a, a small company. Um, and again, this a lot of companies that are going to be north of ten million. They're going to have parts of these processes in place, but it's those companies that are in that one to ten million range that haven't really figured out the scaling that benefit the most from putting this stuff together.
0: I heard it called the, uh, the seven figure desert and it made me chuckle. Um, and in a room alone, I was like, oh my gosh, that is, that is so incredibly accurate. Um, so. Uh, Chris, let's dive in uh, to the next principle. Um, what you know? In fact, I'll, I'll show this on my screen. We'll skip a couple of questions. We might come back to them. What powerful lesson can other visionaries learn from your experience and trying to implement this within your brands? Your brands are a bit smaller than the than the, I think the ten thousand. I don't think you have ten thousand clients at at Kilo Feet, but I might be
1: wrong. Uh, no, I'm I'm on the on the real small side now, right? Um, since I'm I'm now a solopreneur, you know, consultant. Um, but what can other visionaries learn from the experience? You know, it's, it's almost so cliche, but it's like, if you really, truly, um, build relationships with people, you will truly have a, a better business. If you truly care about people, you will truly have a better business, you know, for our, for our largest clients, um, we, yeah, we had a monthly review with the champion, um, but we were on site typically at least once a quarter with them or they were at our office once a quarter and we were having, you know, working sessions uh, with them, you know, very frequently um, where we're diving in deep and we're listening and we're, we're trying to understand them. You know, it's just uh, caring about people, you know, is, is good business. And that's probably the most powerful, you know, lesson that I could say is like caring is, is good business.
0: Yeah, I think that's um, you can call it cliche. I think it's fundamental. Um, and as a Spurs fan watching boring Tim Duncan my whole life, who's the, the big fundamental, like that's what we love um, and that's what I'm all about. So somebody doesn't get that. I'm sorry for you. Um, moving on to a darker subject. What is your worst business experience ever?
1: Well, um, after, you know, my first, uh, company, uh, scaled, uh, and we, we did exit, um, I joined a, um, a B2C company my first time. So one, not a big B2C fan, um, mm-hmm. at least now. Um, but two, uh, we, ha- we went through, um, the Apple advertising fiasco and the privacy settings and all of that. And our cost acquisition, like 10 X in 30 days, um, which, you know, fundamentally broke, the unit economics because we weren't a funded organization. I've always worked at bootstrapped organizations. I've always worked for smaller companies. Mm. And so, you know, it burned, you know, a little bit of our cash and, um, was, was not a fun experience, you know, going through something like that where an outside market issue can really affect you in a, in a fundamental way in a very short period of time.
0: Absolutely. You know, that's one of the interesting things about COVID um, you know, is that it, it, in some respects, created a bit of unity, um, you know, and humility for everybody to understand that, um, that there are external factors that, that can crush your hopes and dreams, um, you know, if you haven't factored in all the potential risks that exist in the world, which is impossible, you know, it's, I think it's fairly impossible to factor in every risk, but all the more reason to make sure your building would sound cliches, or I mean fundamentals. Um, so what's your best experience in business?
1: Um, you know, taking the, the first company I worked at, you know, uh, I, I started there, there was like 18 people. Um, when I left, I, I don't know, maybe there was 80 or hundred people and, and they, um, you know, were purchased by a PE firm. Um, and they, the PE firm had started buying three or, you know, three or four other companies and merging them all together. But, Going through the process of taking a relatively small company and that, you know, was older in terms of the way it functioned and transition, helping transition them to SaaS, and, um, you know, really build a like a a long term, sustainable, scalable, you know, recurring revenue based business model, which, by the way, besides margin, recurring revenue is everything. Um, So you know that that is uh was the best experience for me and it, but uh, you know it was over a long 13 14 year period um, and but the fundamentals of recurring revenue has has stuck with me as well
0: yeah good for you um i, I think that's also um extremely helpful I, I can relate to your background on that it's it's fun to see that whether i work with them or or not whether they hate me or not um have some of those in the past too what's fun to see is Most of the businesses that I've worked with are still operating to this day um, and they are doing better than uh, during the time where we worked together. And I got to be part of that scale process and that foundational process. So it's it's it is it's exciting. And it's like, like, how do you not want more of that? Um, So I got the startup addict uh, thing in me as well.
1: Well, you know, and I love relationships, as, as you can clearly tell from all my conversations, and I worked there for 13 years. So, you know, like most of the people were there before I started dating my wife. They were most of them were were there helping me plan uh, the proposal. They all came to my wedding. Right. Like they were there when I, I had my daughter. And, you know, um, so it's always, uh, you know, building the relationships is not just with your clients, but it's also with your coworkers. Um, which uh, Mm -hmm. I think that was a huge part of the reason why that it was such a good experience for me. Um, And one of the sad things to happen out of COVID is, is like that the loss of some of that, that deeper relationship function inside of the work environment.
0: Absolutely. Um, You know, there's a, there's a contrast. I had to learn that over time. Um, You know, I, I wasn't gifted with that, uh, that mindset and I didn't do what I needed to do to earn that mindset in my earlier years of of running companies you know it was uh i don't want to say it was transactional but i just wasn't quite aware of all the things that one should do to respect foster cultivate build your relationships with people um so given that you've been working on that for so long what are some of the key aspects um you know of of building a building a strong relationship a healthy relationship with your your peers and your clients <clears throat>
1: um I'm going to go back to fundamentals. Uh, The number one fundamental that I believe everything is based off of is setting accurate expectations Mm -hmm. and then communicating against those expectations. We said we were going to do X. We did Y. Here's how how we went above and beyond, or unfortunately here's how we missed. And this is how we're going to remediate it. Um, So like, just having good quality conversations uh just having good quality communications but they're all predicated upon a basic fundamental of what is the expectation of our relationship um and obviously we're talking primarily now on on the client relationship but it's also true of personal relationships and even business relationships with coworkers. is my expectation of you how how you know what i'm or what is your expectation of me And how, you know, we need to communicate when we go above or beyond or when we go under. Um, And we need to figure out ways of of fixing that. It's just basics, but the basics of that communication will take you so, so far.
0: Yes. And I'm going to, I want to work with you on this live because I've got a different paradigm. Go ahead. And my paradigm is less common in the world. So it makes it it makes for an interesting reality. Um, I'm I, I cannot agree with you more about the setting accurate expectations part as something that truly helps most relationships in this world. And I, on the flip side, um, I believe expectations are a vice. I believe expectations. I love what Shakespeare said: "Where expectations are the root of all heartache." Um, and I've felt that very, very deeply. So I believe in aspirations. Um, and I believe we should definitely like aspire to get things done and, and we should make space at the same time for the fact that life doesn't usually go perfectly. Um, and so there's a lot of mercy um, baked into my belief set um, and a lot of forgiveness baked into it. I also see a lot of people torture themselves in life over trying to achieve expectations for somebody else in order to kind of people please them. Um, and there's this, there's this middle ground, you know, that exists in all this. And there's, there's a lot of ideas, but, um, you know, I would, I would rather work with somebody who abides by great principles myself and not even worry. I don't worry about the expectation. I worry about the aspiration of what we're headed towards. And as long as they're showing up and providing the fundamentals of success, then aspiration to me is just a healthier way of, of. Quantifying an expectation, but I'm not going to be mad at you at the end because I know that as long as you did your part, we're good to go. But that doesn't work in the world, in a world where expectations dominate business, right? It doesn't always work that well. So I would love your thoughts on that.
1: Um. Well, one, my gut reaction is I love it, uh, and I would have loved to have been in a situation where clients were were that. Flexible and generous, uh, but I think the reality is, especially if you start targeting Fortune 500 or larger enterprises, right? Enterprise software has a lot of value, but it comes with expectations, right? right. Delivery by this time period and this time period, or or this, and there's quarterly results that they care about, and like, I mean, there's just some realities of business where expectations become important. However, um, I think part of that relationship structure that we're talking about. Is the flexibility of communicating? If you, and and it's not mm-hmm. that it is transactional in nature, but if you go above and beyond a bunch of times and then you miss a couple of times, you'll your relationship has built up enough to survive that. Yeah. Um, and and so, but if you've commu- and if by the way, communicating early and often is the most important thing. If you know you're not going to deliver by Friday, tell them on Monday. Don't wait until Friday to not deliver it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, part of that setting expectations and communicating around that. It's, it's, I think it's a ra- reality business, you know, probably internally. Um, uh, if you can, if you have the, the, the luxury the grace to be able to do it internally to your coworkers, absolutely aspirations. If you're talking about family and friends, aspirations, I would say a hundred percent. Um, I just, uh, I don't know if I could get, uh, it would certainly be harder to sell a system around a- aspirations and, and, and yeah, sort of guarantee success. Um, uh, Expectations become a reality uh, for a lot of, for a lot of companies.
0: Right. Yeah. I look at guaranteed success and I look at COVID um, or the Titanic and think, yeah, look at how far that got you. Um, You know, so it's, uh, it's, but I'm, but I'm, I'm with you on it. And I'm, it's funny because you taught me something super valuable and that's that you have to know your audience, right. And, and the different factors, the audience, and you might have certain um, relationship rules and boundaries with different entities in your life than with others. If you want to be an expansive influence, for instance, then you've got to be willing to tolerate things, um, that may not be part of your core, um, tolerate conversations that may not be conversations you want to have. Um, and, and so I am grateful because I can see that, uh, for the scale of first class business, for instance, um, for a scaled market and a message where we don't get to educate people right away on aspirations it's important for that product or service to meet the demand of expectations right but those people can be nurtured through a process of inspiration that creates a conditioning for them to start them to start moving towards a lifestyle aspirations. And I, I do think there are clients, there are companies out there, great companies, Fortune 500. I would say a mind body is a great example of a, a scaled out company that from what I've seen, does a pretty great job of, of gearing towards aspirations versus expectations and Jake Larson at Video Power. I was grateful for him as a leader. That guy did such an excellent job of helping everybody understand, understand aspirations. Um, but it's it's a little bit more rare. You have to be more patient.
1: I would agree. But I think, you know, to pick on two companies we picked, talked about earlier, Walmart and Apple, they're polar opposite companies, yeah. but neither they're both massively expectation and deadline and, yes. and high quality outcomes based. Right. Um, I don't think you Correct. would ever, ever get either of those to be aspirational in nature.
0: Um, <laughs> that would be, that would be like, yeah, don't challenge somebody who's a contrarian to go after that. But um, <laughs> yeah, that would be a very big uphill battle.
1: All right, Jackson. I want to see on your next episode how you've you've changed Apple.
0: <laughs> right, I would have to use Apple first, um, but I don't like crappy software, so I don't use oh, it. Um, oh, so. I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm hanging up now. He's hanging up on me. All right, <laughs> Chris. This was awesome, man. Uh, Vision Pros. If you have any questions for either one of us about product scale, um, you know, if you want to know more about Chris's companies, we'll have those links in the show notes. Cynthia's done a great job of sharing those as well in the comments. Um, so we thank her for her support on this episode. And uh, Chris, what's the best way for people to reach out and get in touch with you?
1: Uh, on kilofeet.com um, I do have uh, you know a, a thing where people can sign up and just you know start a free start a chat and we can talk to each other and see if we can help each other.
0: Awesome. Absolutely. Well Chris, you've been an excellent guest. I appreciate you being on the show and vision Pros. Thank you so much for being here today. We will see you on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Thank Thank you. you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us your time and attention. Have an excellent time.